Humans. This is episode nine, and we are joined today by Richard Schneems. Uh, he is, I am the Python overlord over at Heroku, and he is one of the Ruby overlords at Heroku, which means he is the uh, language owner of Ruby, one of the two. There's two owners of Ruby at, over at Heroku. And uh, he is my first co-host that does not specialize in Python. So I thought it would be interesting to get someone from outside of the Python community to discuss things, uh, you know, like the differences between the Ruby community and the Python community and the tool chains and stuff like that. Hi, Richard. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm pretty, pretty excited. Um, yeah, I love, uh, I love Ruby and... Um, so just recently, I've actually started uh, doing a, writing a lot of Python. I uh, signed up for uh, Georgia Tech has on, an online master's program, and I'm taking my first semester. And they're they have an artificial intelligence for robotics, and it's entirely in Python. Um, so that's excellent. Is, yeah. is Python fast enough for robotics, or are you dipping into C? Um, so for this course, it's like for what we're doing, it's it's kind of just like breaking down all of the individual components. Um, and then, so, like, there's filtering, and then there's search, and then, like, uh, for, for each, for what we're doing, it's fast enough. Um, for, okay. for something like a, um, like, the, an actual, like, self-driving car, you probably want to be, like, a little bit faster. Um, yeah, like using Rust or C or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, the original uh, car that won the original DARPA challenge um, was, like... Uh, primarily, I think, written in C. There's, um, in one of the, the, the course is taught by uh, Sebastian Thrun. He's the, he's, he uh, was at Stanford. I think he's currently at Stanford. Um, and he did that. He was basically led the team that won that, uh, that challenge of the self-driving car um, and talks extensively about that. But uh, yeah, speed is a huge, huge, uh, like, you know, problem like you know most people it's like okay if your program gets a little slow it's like whatever your your, your, your web page doesn't render oh you know versus you get in a multi-car accident and like yeah my die. dad my dad programs flight simulators for a living and mm-hmm. he does it all in c plus plus and for them it's that they have a model of the plane and all of the physics therein for like the fuel slosh and you know passengers and all the dynamics of the air pressures that are going on in the plane Mm -hmm. and they have to be able to calculate it i think 500 times a second or something like that yeah and so it's all it's kind of like the web web version of scalability where it's like as long as it's reliably uh they can hit this target real time uh target of so many microseconds for calculation then they're Mm -hmm. good to go uh so it's pretty cool yeah um, I mean, and I, I think one of the, like, the concepts are easily applicable to any programming language. I think a lot of uh, the, the general idea that I get is that um, scripting languages and other high-level languages are useful in this field for essentially, like, prototyping. Um, if you have this idea of, oh, you know, I could change this algorithm, it might be a little quicker to do it in, in Python or, or something else. Um, I've actually been really enjoying... Uh, so, so I do have, um, I do have an, another, like, this isn't my first rodeo with Python. Um, <laughs> so I do have another story. Uh, originally, I was, um, I was working for a company called uh, Gowalla about five years ago. Yeah. And, yeah, and so they got bought, they got bought by Facebook. Um, I'm like, this is audio, so you can't, I'm doing like air quotes. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if you know somebody who's in a merger and acquisition, instead of, it's, it's not like a, hey, congratulations, it's a, like, so, how did it go? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's not always a good thing. But anyway, um, uh, some of the employees after Gowalla ended up going to um, uh, a small company called um, Instagram. Small company. Yeah. And um, so... Which is, uh, which is a well-known Python shop. Yes, which is a well-known Python shop. And I was actually interviewing with them. Uh, and I did a phone uh. interview with, with both of the founders. And, um, and they were like, oh, you know, they really... At the time, they didn't have a web app. They only had the online... The, um, the, the, uh, the mobile app. Yeah, yeah. And so they wanted to. You I know, remember have, that time. That was a, a good time, but it was still public knowledge at that time that it was a Django app. Yeah, um, and so they they were like, okay, well, you know, we really like your background and experience. You know, you built a social network with Gowalla. Uh, you know, if we're gonna fly you out to San Francisco, and I was like, okay, well, give me, you know, give me a little bit of time. I'm gonna like spend a week. I'm gonna see if I like can pick up Python, and I, so I picked up Learn Python the hard way. And, yeah, yeah. And granted, I'm like a hardcore Rubyist from like <laughs> I, I love Ruby, and the, so the problem that I ran into. See, was, when I hear someone say they love Ruby, what I hear from them is I have a lack of taste, and oh, it's really funny. Ouch! I know, and but it's because of the way the object model works. Because to me, Python, the object model makes a lot of sense, and you have like everything's a dictionary in the back end. Mm. Have you got Have you gotten that far with Python? Oh no, not at all. So in any in Python, every object has a dunder dict uh, attribute on it, mm-hmm. and and all the properties and all the, all the storage for it is just this dictionary, and okay. you can and it's very very cool how it's very simple how it works. And in Ruby, when you get to that level of trying to write custom objects and stuff like that, it's crazy the way it works. And people, uh, when I talk to expert Rubyists. When I talk about how to do, like, how do you do this and how do you do that, they're like, they're either like, well, you just never would, or they're like, well, there's this kind of crazy, janky way that you would figure out how to do that. And, and I don't know, I just really like the way Python's designed when it comes to, like, really comprehending the entirety of the language. I, I feel like you can really grok the entirety of Python very easily, and Ruby. I don't think I think most master Rubyists don't grok the entirety of the object <laughs> model at all because it's too it's just too much, you know. Yeah. Well, I will say it's like a I thought I knew everything there is to know about Ruby after like, you know, two years, and then again after five years, and again after seven years, and again after like ten years, and it keeps on <laughs> it keeps on changing. Um, so I will like it is a really really deep rabbit hole. Uh, there's I mean there's a lot that I really like about it. Um, it's like the the purity of objects. Like everything in Ruby is an object, even in like you know your your context is an object um, that like your code is running in. Uh, like in if you open up an IRB shell or something like you know there. Um, there's no uh, there's no. Uh, functions like everything is a method on an object, um, and just some of the so some of the uh, things I really enjoy. Which has, about, which has its downfalls because you can't pass references to methods. You have to make them procs, right? Yeah. So you you can you have to like yeah. Well, you there is actually a way. You, there's a method method, um, <laughs> but it, it 
it generates it generates a proc basically it generates an unbound proc oh okay um, yeah but you can't pass around bound methods as parameters right um like it's it's not really how you'd normally do things like yeah you'd, you'd like the normal way to do it would be to just to, like have a proc or a lambda or something like that yeah um that's why I like the, just the design of Python better because everything is just passable and it's just like this is a name function basically and that's how it works and it so that's what I was gonna ask you is as someone who is like deep in Ruby and then kind of approaching Python and learning it I I feel like you're kind of approaching something that's written kind of opposite like mm -hmm. it's designed from a completely opposite perspective an opposite philosophy uh, did you feel like it was really frustrating to learn Python. Oh, it's incredibly frustrating. Um, really? Yeah. So, um, like, I guess going back to back, to, this is a perfect segue to back to where I was. I was going through like learn Python the hard way, going through all of these examples. And there's one, um, there's one tutorial where it's like, okay, we're going to work with arrays and we're going to find this element in this array. And just um, the the way your programming language shapes your brain and what you expect and just like yeah. the common it's just like oh this is just like the way the world works and um, in Ruby if you're looking for an element in an array and it doesn't find it then it just it's like okay here's nil like you know whatever and it, th this method that we were using if it didn't find the element in the array then it would raise an exception oh. and, and and this to me was was crazy, and I talked to other Rubyists. Well, normally and... in Python, what you would do is you would do if item in in iterable, and then it would return true or false. Yeah, so I mean, like there, there's like there's patterns around it, right? Like it's not a uh, it's not a it's not a show stopper, but what was it, were they, is he doing like list.contains or something? Oh, I, I mean, like it. Honestly, this was like five years ago. I don't remember the exact function name. Um, but, uh, I tried to, like, the, the, I've tried explaining Python to other Rubyists, and, ex and, like, the, the best explanation I have, uh, or the one that they resonate with the most is, um, it's like if I, I asked Ruby to go to the store and get some milk, Ruby's just like, no, you know, sorry, I went to the store, I, and they didn't have any, so, like, I brought, I brought back no milk. And like you're like you're like, hey Python, go to the store and buy me some milk. And Python's like, they didn't have any milk, so I burned the store down. <laughs> and like that, I, it just like because to, to me in Ruby, an uh, raising an exception is really expensive, and you only do it in exceptional circumstances, like under the case where like like I have no idea how else we could possibly proceed. Um, and I see. A, I see. A, an, and in an Python, you often use exceptions as flow control. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's that was your biggest hang up when with learning Python. Uh, so I I guess it's just more that the uh, the similarities are so close, so 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 close, but just it, it's a slightly different philosophy, and unless you have a lot of experience with that difference in philosophy, it, whenever you're trying to guess what will this line of code do, um. It's really hard to translate a fixed Ruby mindset to a fixed Python mindset, and I think it's probably yeah. the, the same backward. It's just like it's it's so similar. It's, you know, I think it would be extremely difficult for me to learn Ruby because it's just like, why is it this way? This does yeah. not make sense to me. Yeah, it's just it's backwards, right? It's like the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, 
like one uh and oh and so anyway i ended up having that experience i ended up not really caring for python and ended up not going and interviewing for this uh this you know small company that nobody's ever heard of uh and then they ended up and i ended up actually uh getting the job with heroku and like a couple months later instagram got bought for like a billion dollars and i was like oh you know maybe maybe it would have been worth it to learn python for that but See, Python's always the best choice. Say la vie. Say la vie. Then I would have had had to move to San Francisco, so I call it a wash. It's all right. I know Facebook employee number 25 who quit six months later to go uh, do his own thing. So, wow. uh, Yeah. So you're you're at less of a loss than he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you never know. I also, yeah, I also know plenty of people who like hung in there for forever with this thing that's going to, you know be uh, changing the world and be a next unicorn and make billions of dollars and then it you know it doesn't yeah probably the more common case and for the record richard and i were both hired after the heroku acquisition so mm-hmm. yeah how long um, have you, how long have you been at heroku uh five years i think i was hired like four months before you or something or okay. two two months before you yeah my, my five-year anniversary is like really soon mine was like three months ago okay yeah yeah, it's been a long time. The company's changed a lot. It's been really cool to see how little the needs of the build packs have changed for me, at least, and uh, how much the needs of the Ruby build pack has changed. Like <laughs> the Ruby build pack is really interesting because it, if for people who aren't familiar with build packs, it's this basically set of shell scripts, or they can be because it's very Unixy. It can be written in Python or Ruby. Like the Ruby one is written in Ruby, mine's written in uh, in in Bash, and uh, they take your code base that you sh- push to Heroku and it converts it into a slug, which is like a, a tarball of executable code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Python one is, I think, a lot easier to maintain than the Ruby one because because it's these philosophies that we were talking about that. Python has a different philosophy. You know, if you in in Python you do import this, you have the pep twenty. And they, you get the the twenty idioms of Python that and that kind of permeate our entire culture, um, and they really resonate. You know, you have explicit is better than implicit, and and all these other things. And in Ruby, they have a lot of they don't have like a concrete it, set of these things, but there well, are some well, so, idioms. So it's like it's like almost the opposite because instead of uh, explicit over implicit, our our idiom is convention over configuration. Like yeah. it, like it should it should just do something by default, and that something should be relatively good. And then if you want to change it later, then you're more than welcome to do so. We have a very similar one. It said there should be one obvious way to do it, um, preferably only one obvious way to do something. That means that doesn't mean there shouldn't be multiple ways to do it, but that mm-hmm. means there should be one obvious way to do it. Uh, and anyway, what, where I was going with the build packs is just the the Ruby build pack has a lot of code that it does to help facilitate Ruby uh, Rails apps so that they just work out of the box on Heroku. Uh, and it's really interesting how that little philosophy that changes the whole way that both languages work also changes the way different integrations work. And it also permeates into the cultures, too. I think that the cultures of the languages are very different, of the communities, um, and I, uh, from a philosophical perspective, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like Python is kind of usually the first to adopt the code of conduct and stuff like that. And we have like, this is the one obvious best way to do this. And we're going to be explicit about it. And we never really have that many problems integrating that stuff. And then Ruby kind of comes along usually like a year later 
to do the same thing. And it's like this huge dramatic, uh, there's always a lot of drama around it. And they always kind of go about it in a different way where they're like, they take it to the next step, you know, where they're like, we're, there, we're not only going to do code that... of conducts for, for conferences. We're going to do it for every project, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there, there's actually a, uh, there's a website. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's maintained or not anymore, but there, it was a website called Ruby Dramas. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, um, I mean, and just all sorts of stuff would be, so like, I don't know if maybe your listeners know Yehuda Katz, like he's kind of spans several languages, uh, but I'm like, Facebook like, friends with him. Yeah. One, one Ruby drama was, the, um, there's a meetup and I actually happened to be at this meetup and, um, one of the presenters gave an object, a, a lesson on metaprogramming with Ruby. That was like his, his topic. And then afterwards he was like, do you have any questions? And then Yehuda Katz stands up and like basically like re-gives his entire presentation like but better just off the cuff just like like <laughs> like you know it's like actually <laughs> this this is how it works and like here's all of the it, it wasn't like a here's all the reasons why you're wrong but it was like a it will like this kick-ass uh thing and there's this huge huge commotion online because um you know it was like on one hand it's a very rude thing to do like just just like giving a present like showing up this other person who's giving this presentation and and some people felt uh like really upset by that and other people were like oh well you know he was like just trying to help and so anyway it generated the drama and then guess what gets posted on ruby dramas ruby dramas i haven't heard of that i'll have to check it out yeah i think i think it's propagated i think there's like php dramas and i mean it sounds like there's no drama in python at all so well we definitely have uh, general culture dramas that accompany, they're the ones that permeate all languages. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have like the Social Justice League and that comes into Python, but that's something that you see in, in, in every language. So I don't think that that's specific to Python. Yeah. Um, well, it, and we do have a little bit of, you know, like there was someone who got kicked out of PyCon. Yeah, we had a uh, dongle gate. Did you oh, hear yeah, about that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that, but that wasn't really necessarily, I mean, that was a drama, but it was like, there was an issue and it was resolved and uh you know and then people are upset about it so we're going to talk about it for a little bit yeah and uh, so I, even i guess the philosophies about how conflicts get resolved are a little different um because in from from what i understand you have these like it's like if if you want to change the way something works you write a proposal and then people talk about it and then there's like a kind of a committee and is that how that works like there's the for, peps yeah we have the the pep the pep proposals for python yeah so if you want to make a change to the language or the way it works you write a pep proposal and then it gets accepted or denied or rejected mm-hmm. uh and people can comment on them and it's there's a little bit of drama around that too because if you propose something that's controversial there'll be a, a long mailing list thread about <laughs> it you know yeah. Like the the big one was Armin Runiker that I can think of uh, proposed adding Unicode literals to Python three, uh, where you you have a string and it starts with the U, uh, which is something that was in Python two hmm. but not in Python three. So if you were running code that works in both two and three at the same time, there is no way to explicitly say this is always a Unicode string. So he added a wrote a pep to. Uh, to add it back to three basically and uh that was people were like this is a huge step backwards you know you know we got over this because by default if you just have a naked string it's it's unicode Mm -hmm. you know and it's not necessary but we're like well we need to make it easy for people to to migrate and to migrate this is necessary 
So, uh, you know, there's definitely dramas that un- that unfurl, but they're they're petty dramas. They're not the the ones in Ruby seem to be. I, f- I feel like the Ruby community is a lot more um, uh, fashion oriented, if that makes sense. Where mm-hmm. there's like, and that's kind of a, a real strength of the Ruby community too. Where there's a lot more like hip, cool stuff being coming out all the time, and like stuff is trendy. And uh, and Python kind of gets that stuff usually after Ruby tries it out, like the good stuff. Like mm-hmm. we, like like you know we get like WebSock. Like you know how long has Ruby or how, how long has Rails had WebSockets built into it? Uh, so released uh, five point one about a year. Um, but in yeah. it's been in master for like about almost like two years now. Yeah, we're like, we're just getting Django channels now, and it's it's this it's the version of that basically, and it's uh you know so we kind of like kind of we're a little bit slower to adopt <laughs> new technologies and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of like learn from the mistakes of the Ruby community. I feel like like we kind of like let you guys try things out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, run on the, run on the bleeding edge. Uh, well, and and so like in in stark contrast to the uh, the. The pep system. We basically just throw shit at a like you know throw spaghetti at a wall, see what sticks. Uh, and, <laughs> and and it's it's very uh, it's very benevolent dictator for life uh, model like in in Rails. We we do have a BDFL and he it's he's very um, you know that's what he does. Yeah, but but there's not even like a community or there's not even like a council or like a uh, like so. So for for Rails, if you can get DHH to be like, yes, this needs to be in Rails, then it's in Rails. Like if if you can get Mats to be like, yes, this needs to be in in Ruby, then like it's in Ruby basically. Um, and there's there is a and that's, like that's your only job if you want to land something basically. Well, like there are some uh, other like for for Ruby, you do submit a proposal, but there's not an explicit council. It's basically just like whoever is working on it, um, you know, whoever. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure who actually decides on the peps i know guido has the ability to to veto anything Mm -hmm. uh to say yes or no but uh i don't know who's in charge of reviewing the peps and deciding if they're all approved or not it might just be guido but i would be (laughs) i would be surprised because i don't think he wants to be responsible for that i think there's probably other people who are in charge of that as well uh i i did decide though that what um what we need at some point in time is to have a karaoke battle between uh, the the between Mats and Guido. Oh, that would be very interesting. I don't know if Guido would would do karaoke. I don't know Guido, if Mats would do karaoke either. <laughs> I've seen a I saw a gif or something the other day of him doing karaoke. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, or I saw it was on Facebook. Someone posted a, a picture of him doing karaoke. Okay, nice. At a at a conference. Okay, but you don't think Guido would? Uh, I don't know. Just knowing him personally, I, I don't. I I don't know him well enough to say for sure that he wouldn't. But, okay. But because I, I was going to say he doesn't that, seem we, like the type. Then we just have to like I don't know, call a huge conference, like a multi-language, like OSCON or something. It's like okay, you have to invite both of these people to speak, and then at the conference, this is what's going to happen. Well, I'll just tell you that Guido's least favorite part of PyCon is doing his talk. Mm. So. Uh, he doesn't really like being on stage or being the center of attention. So, I highly doubt he'd want to do karaoke. But I don't know. He'll. Uh, he, we should ask him. <laughs> um, 
But so you've been doing Ruby with or Python with robotics, and have you found it to to have taught you anything that you can take over into Ruby? Like any good patterns? Yeah. So um, I love. There's some things that I really really like about Python actually. Um, the so NumPy is great. Um, like we Ruby does have a Sci Ruby, which is kind of like a combination of SciPy and NumPy. Um, but it's not, it's, it's not, it doesn't come with a standard lib. Um, so well, neither, neither does NumPy. Oh, really? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's like installed on every system ever. It's like, why would you have a system with Python and not NumPy is basically what I, what I gather. Um, like, yeah, it, I mean, in the class, like we write arbitrary code and it's just, yeah, we can, we can use NumPy. Um, Are you guys using uh, Anaconda by chance? So I don't know what that is. Okay, so I'm curious what Python not. distribution you're using because there is a Python distribution called Anaconda that comes with NumPy on it. Uh, uh, it might, that might be what you're using. Uh, if, you, if you run, if you just run Python, it'll tell you if it's from Continuum Analytics or not. Uh, I'm using two seven twelve. Uh, I don't think so. Okay, so you installed NumPy. Yeah, probably. Um, like some of the gr- NumPy, some- yeah, NumPy is one of those things where it's like, at least the impression I get from the sci- from the scientific community is it's like irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Like you know, th- there might be a library in Ruby that does that, but it's not NumPy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I really like. Uh, oh, I just totally just totally lost there's, it. There's also Pandas you might want to check out if you're doing a lot of NumPy stuff. It's called what? Pandas. Pandas. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, it's basically R for Python. Okay. Is that P-A-N-D-I-S? Uh, P-A-N-D-A-S. D-A-S. And it makes doing data oh. science in Python, like, trivial. Like, I can do it, and I don't know any data science, so. <laughs> nice. Um, so, the uh, pi, pi plot, I think? Yep. Uh, and some of those, like, ju- just the having some sort of a... Like tur- the turtle library and some of that stuff. It's just like it sounds really, you know, small and insignificant. But when you're doing something like, oh, I'm writing, I'm trying to fit this model to the way that this, um, this robot is moving through 2D space, having some way to actually visualize it without having to, like in Ruby, like there's there are kind of tools out there, but they're not as. Um, well, yeah, it sounds like what you're encountering is the fact that the so the the Ruby community is comprised. 90% of web developers mm-hmm. and it's a very large community so it's like this web it's web community is larger than pythons mm-hmm. but it, it the python community is only like 30 35% web mm-hmm. and they're like equivalent in size the web parts but python like the other 70% is like this huge community of people that do everything else and like in ruby you don't really have that right no not not really um like, yeah, I actually just went to RubyConf India where for the first time, I think ever, I met some people who were working with SciRuby. It's really interesting because I'll tweet something about, I'm like, like so I just found out about like the Python notebooks, like Ju- Jupyter. Yep, uh, Jupyter notebooks. Yeah, which is really cool. And like I was tweeting about it and they're like, like he's he's in India, so he's like a little time delayed and he'll read my tweets and be like, hey, have you seen this like Ruby equivalent? So all the time I'm like just asking him about Ruby equivalents. Um, you can run, I think you can run Ruby inside of IPython notebooks, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. There's like, there's a, so um, I, I, you Python. You can install a kernel 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you can do it for a bunch of different languages. Which is, it's pretty cool. Um, it's like, it's also really nice that Jupiter just kind of like works out of the box with a lot of this stuff. Uh, Sim, SimPy uh, has been like really, really interesting. Um, like, I actually like the import system from Python. Uh, versus, oh, yeah. Versus super... Ruby. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in Ruby, there's no way to namespace a, like, the only way to namespace, like, everything's global namespace. So also, I'm under the impression that in Ruby, there's two ways to import something you can include or require. And if you require something, it's, it is namespaced to the package name, right? Uh, so it require basically just loads a file. Um, yeah. And then the, so in, including is like, once you've. Including is a mix-in. I don't actually even... I'm sh- are there mix-ins in, like, well, modules? We have mix-ins, but they're for class inheritance. Okay. Yeah, well, and, and that's kind of sort of similar to Ruby. Like, Ruby does... Ruby's only single inheritance, but you can get a multiple inheritance with, uh, with mix-ins. That's what you would use the include oh, for. Oh, I see. But you do it at a module level. Yeah, uh, and, and, um, and that would be more along the lines of you want to share methods as opposed to sharing, like, changing a namespace. Basically, like... So, in Python, we have something called the MRO, which is the method resolution order. Mm-hmm. So, if you're if you're using multiple inheritance and there are two methods that are uh, the same that on, like, two of the objects that you're inheriting from, mm-hmm. you can you can specify the, the resolution order. You can say that this will... I want the method from this object, not from this... From this class, not from the other this other class. Okay. Is is there a way to do that in Ruby? Uh, so it like I'll give you an example about how you can get in trouble. Um, so a lot of people, if you're if you're writing some sort of a library, you might um, have a file class. So for example, um, I use I write uh, I maintain Sprockets, which uh, does assets, asset generation, JavaScript, CSS, that kind of a thing, concatenation. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. If you know what that is, yes. Uh, and you, so you might, it, it's conceivable for me to want to name a class in that file. And in Ruby, I would generally have a top level namespace like sprockets. And so if I want to access this, the file class, I would say sprockets colon colon file, and then just use it like that. Um, yeah. versus there is a built in, uh, shipped file, um, class in Ruby just called file. Now, if I was a bad maintainer or didn't know Ruby, and I'm like, oh, hey, I'm going to write this library, and oh, I want a class named file, and I just named it file and did not namespace it, then... Oh. Uh, so you can do... <laughs> a, you can do that, and <laughs> and, uh, and there's no way... Uh, t- there's basically no way to get back to the original file. Like, there's no... You, you, you're just, like, writing over it, essentially. We have that similar problem in Python. I just encountered it yesterday. I named something calendar.py, mm. and, and, I, and it messed up my entire Python installation <laughs> because uh, there is a built, there's a standard library called calendar.calendar. Oh, okay. And, uh, and so when it, whenever something was trying to import calendar <laughs> that I was using, it was uh, looking for the one I wrote instead of the one that was built into the standard library. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I had to change it to calendars. Uh, <laughs> and, and the error was very strange. I'm like, why is it trying to run this? This doesn't make any sense. I didn't tell it to do that yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like like Python was just trying to boot up, and it wouldn't boot up. That was the problem. 
because mm. because by default when you run python it adds your current directory to the python path which means it'll look first there for modules so you can overwrite standard library modules and stick them in there mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i was doing i was overwriting the built-in calendar module uh because it wasn't in a namespace package it was just calendar.py so okay. So we do have a similar, we have similar problems. They just manifest in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, I like if, if you're, you know, you, I can call like, like I can either import something to the, I can just say like, um, import everything from math or I don't, I forget the terminology. It's from, from math, like import star, I guess. Um, yeah, which is something that is uh, discouraged. Yes. Uh, but like, that's all there is in Ruby. Like I, I, yeah, you, yeah. In, instead of like, I, yeah, generally you, my, you literally can't say, I only want one method from this module. No. Wow. You have to, yeah, you get like and everything the, and you, and also in Python, you can say import uh function X from this module as, and you can rename it, which is nice. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about with the, like in, in the Ruby example, like if you had done that um, in Ruby, there's just like. The only way to fix it is to rewrite the library. Versus in in Python, I feel like you could do a import blank as, and then you have access to those methods. And in sort of like this name, this this whatever you said as namespace. So part of being a really good Ruby developer, I feel like is very similar to being a very good PHP developer, where it's like you have to be very aware of no global namespace and and not clobbering anybody else. Yeah, uh, it's it's like it's one of those things that is surprisingly um, it's surprisingly not an issue. Like once once you're aware of it, then you're just like, I just know this. It is like intrinsic. Like I know one plus one is two. You just create you just create your own namespace when you create a new module, and that's your namespace. And another package could have the same namespace, but that is rarely an issue. Yeah, with the same thing in Python, you know. I call my module requests. Someone else could have a, another package name that you can install that also installs itself as requests, mm -hmm. uh, and that could be a problem. But it's not—it's not ever really a problem. So, so it sounds like they're pretty similar. But in Ruby, it sounds like that make that you could come into that a lot. Like if you're, if you're, if someone's. Let's say someone writes their first Ruby library and it becomes popular. It could be a problem, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and and um, like so. I guess a while ago you were talking about like the differences between the Ruby build pack and the uh, and the the Python build pack. Um, I I think one of the uh, my dogs. Sorry about that. River, Cinco. Yeah, I work from home. Um, so uh, one of the things that the Ruby build pack does is that we, if you do not explicitly specify a version of Ruby, then then we will give one to you, um, and that comes yeah. that comes from the convention over configuration. Where I think in Python you error out. You're like, hey, no, you need to tell me what you need. No, I I default to the latest version of Python two. Oh, okay, <laughs> never mind. That totally ruined my example. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff like that that we do. Um, we're very heavy handed in terms of taking a look at your app and predicting what we think you should do, even if it's not the right thing. Uh, we go ahead and do it anyway, and then assume that if you didn't like that or you didn't want that, then you'll come back and fix it later. 
Yeah, we. So when I started at Heroku, I inherited the Python build pack, and the original version would look for a settings.py in Django, and then it would append code to it automatically. So it so it read from database URL automatically. Mm. Um, and that's something that I took out and I was like, no, if you want to read from database URL, you're going to install a library that, that parses that and turns it into Django code. And you're going to put that in your code base. You know, that's the kind of thing that the Python build pack does and do for you that yours does do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that, that philosophy of the, that philosophy difference uh, can kind of get in, like, get you in trouble. Um, like, as I am writing a build pack or a library or a module, and 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 we we see that a lot in um, in code as well. So, um, like, right, one of the things, if people are familiar with Ruby and Rails, like, you've probably heard the term magic before. And if you're <laughs> if you're if you're like a new developer, you're like, that sounds amazing. If you're like an experienced developer, you're like. Uh, that sounds awful. Get me away from that. Um, like magic and code don't really play well together. Um, but the the whole philosophy is all around. Uh, it's almost kind of like the the best possible user experience um, at the sacrifice of the library code. Um, yeah. And, and, so, and, so so what they're shipping. Is not exactly what's running in production. Uh, well, it's like uh, basically, it, you know, it's like um, like for for Active Record, uh, like the name of the class that you're inheriting um, de- define determines the table name. So if you want to if you want to query against the user table, then you make a user class and you inherit inherit from Active Record base. That's basically it. But I'm sure there's there's a, a a property that you can set to change that, right? Yeah, yeah. So it is it is configurable, but that that default behavior uh, tends to have unintended side effects. For for instance, um, there is uh, there's a there's a multiple inheritance uh, feature in or not multiple inheritance uh, single table inheritance feature inside of um, Active Record, and um, you can specify a type column. So, like, if you if you cre- yeah. if you create a type column inside of your database, then you can you can give, say, you know, oh, this is a book type, or this is a magazine type, or this is a you know, whatever. And when it loads it, it'll try to load it as that that model. Um, now, it it also just turns out like programmers are really bad at naming things, <laughs> and whenever it, like and whenever you're writing your database migrations, and you're like. Uh, like, oh, I need a new data, like, I'm going to writing Facebook for dogs or something. And you're like, oh, okay, well, what, what, uh, every, every dog, like, if maybe you can't remember the name, uh, breed and you're like, oh, let's just call it type. And so you just happen to name your, um, your, your row in your database or your column in your database type. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah. then everything will blow up because of this assumption that, like, basically type has this special property, which if you're using it and you want it, then it's really good and it's really powerful and it's really fast uh, and really easy. Um, but it's a special, it's a special field type. Yeah, and like you, um, another thing is that if you, uh, 
it's like I'm picking on active record here. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's so easy. Uh, uh, whenever you instantiate the object, it, it gets a method um, for whatever columns you have. Um, so, uh, and, and that can basically conflict with global methods. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so like if you have... <clears throat> and global methods can can be arbitrary because they can be extended by importing other modules, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a... Yeah, so, so there's a... Uh, yeah, like, I, I mean, I guess... Are there, is it bad practice to write a module in Ruby that extends object? Uh, yeah, so we'll, we we call it monkey patching, um, and yes, it is. It's there are some okay guidelines. Ra- doesn't Rails do that? It does it less and less over the years. It has like over the years, uh, Ruby has actually gotten better at providing some more sane ways to do uh, monkey patching. Okay. Um, or or not even to do monkey patching, but more like okay, th- it wasn't as Necessarily, like we wanted to modify object. However, in order to make this happen, we had to. Uh, I guess one of the, the is that under the under the impression that like you could become a really good Rails developer and then actually not know Ruby because you wouldn't know that a lot of this stuff that's built into object isn't actually part of Ruby itself, but it's part of Rails. E- yes, so that happens. Uh, there is active support, which is that's active. It's its sole goal is so you can say like uh, one everything in Ruby is an object um, we call methods on those objects uh, so you can say with active support loaded you can say like one dot days dot from now yes uh, exactly and, exactly and it's really cool and it makes your code super simple um, and you know it's, it's really DSL. really flexible yeah it's, it's basically this DSL but yes if you were using outside of rails you would have to know oh that came from active support and then I need to load active support if I want to be able to use that gotcha um, so active support provides DSLs for object stuff basically yeah an- another really common one though like probably one of the ones I see the most used is um, is blank so in, in Ruby, um, the only two false, everything is a truthy value. If you say if and then pass in something, it, it will inherently be true unless it's false or nil. Those are the only two falsy values. Not zero? Nope. Like zero is an object, therefore it is true. Like. In, oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, so like that that's a, I actually, um, a lot of people have a hard time with that. I actually really like it. Uh, it, it, it. There's a number of cases where it's like I'm, you know, it's actually been good. Um, yeah, in Python, everything is truthy, but you can, if it's everything, everything in Python is also an object, but they mean something different in in Python than it does in Ruby. That's not something that Python people say. They don't tout around saying <laughs> everything in everything in Python is an object, but it's true. Everything in Python is an object. Um, and for truthiness, every object can have its own definition of what is true or false. Mm. Uh, and, and there's a bool function that's built in that's called, and it'll check uh, the, the bool, the dunder bool method if it's defined on an object, and it'll, so you can override it. You can say, usually it's, it defaults to true if it's an object, mm-hmm. you know, if it has a value. But if it's a list, for example... 
uh, the list will return false if it's empty. Mm-hmm. A string will also return false if it's empty. Uh, an integer will return false if it's zero. Um, and everything else is... In, in Python, actually, true and false are actually kind of like aliases to zero and one mm. originally, because Python didn't used to have true and false. You used to use zero and one originally for true and false. Mm-hmm. So that's why zero and one are true and false. So you can have, so the, if you do if lane of list, you, then you, then you're, then if it's, then what you're doing is you're saying if this le- list has any content, mm-hmm. but you actually don't have to do that. You can drop the len part. You can just do if list. And so if the list is empty, uh, then it'll return false. And if it's, if it has anything in it, it'll return true. Okay. I, so it's very nice. So I, I will I will say one thing that I miss, and may uh, there might be some way in there uh, to do this. Like I'm sure you've you've probably heard the the phrase. It's like Python is for pros, P R O S. <laughs> like Ruby is for pros, like P R O S E. Like writing oh, yeah. writing like literature. Um, yeah, I've like, heard that, and I think that sounds very accurate. <laughs> well, so all actually all the time I want to make my um, code shorter. All yeah. the time inside when I'm in in Python in in Ruby I can do there's a couple of things I do really like I can um, I can have an inline if statement so if I if I have um, like do you mean a um, uh, I'm trying to remember what that's called a ternary statement uh, so well it you you just use if at the end of the line yeah you could do that in Python oh really that works. Yeah, you can you can say well you can use it in assignments normally. So you'd say uh, a equals two if boolean else three. Uh, let me see. I'm gonna so like I'm gonna message set, you this. Set set x to uh, to false, and then you can do uh, a equals two if x else three. So I just I just sent you that I can in in like in Ruby on one line I can say a is equal to two if true like yeah in Python you have to give it an else oh interesting okay yeah you have to say a equals two if true else you have to give it the the other value if it's not true because you're giving it an assignment oh so a always has to be assigned to something Yes. Got it. Now, uh, there is another thing I just learned recently, and this is something that most Python programmers don't know. And you can say, if A isn't assigned, assign it. Yes, that's what I want. <laughs> and it's super uncommon, and you'll never see it, uh, but I just sent it to you. I love that. It's, <laughs> it's A pipe equal sign. Yeah, okay. In, in Ruby, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's pipe pipe. Okay. It's, so, yeah. it's like so similar, it hurts. Um, but it's, so for our, for our listeners, it, this is a, a feature of Python that I didn't know about until a couple weeks ago. You do a pipe equals sign two, and if a is not already assigned, it will assign it to two. Does it does it work if a is none? I think I think that's what I think that's how it works. Okay. I think it's. I'm pretty sure if if a returns false, or then if, if it's if its truthiness is false, then it'll assign it to two. Yeah, because I I. Uh, 
I've only seen this one time in like 12 years. <laughs> okay. Someone sent it in a pull request I'm, to one of, my, one of my projects. And I'm like, what the fuck does this do? I'm going to write the most, <laughs> I'm going to start writing the most Ruby uh, Python code out there. In, in Ruby, you use this all over the place. So Ruby does actually something kind of cool in this scenario. Um, so pipe pipe in, in Ruby is or. So instead of saying something like, and then using the letters O-R, you would just use pipe pipe. And so, um, or equals actually expands to a equals a, a uh, or two. It's the same as like plus equals, except it's pipe oh. equals. Oh, yeah. You, now that would also work in Python. You could do that. Really? Man, this is great. <laughs> yeah, but a would have to be assigned previously. To a value of some sort. If that, so, if if a equals none, then that would work. But if a was unassigned, it would give you an exception. Now, uh, if you could, you could flip them around. Wait. So, like, you, like this. This is this is a lot more. Uh, I didn't expect to like come here to learn things. This is great. So, like that clearly doesn't work. No, it would be uh, a equals. A or two. Ah, okay. So you got you just have to be the full thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that would that would only work if A was already defined. So above it, you would have A equals none for uh, some reason. Yeah. So I yeah I do that a ton in Ruby to define things. Um. Okay. The other thing is Ruby. Or a better way to do it would be if not A, then A equals two. You know. Okay. That's like a little bit cleaner version of that with two lines. Yeah. I've actually not seen the not before. Oh, yeah. If not A. Yeah. I was, I was going to say my other thing that I really like is unless. Um, in Ruby, unless is a keyword. It's just the opposite of if. But yeah, it's so basically it, the same as if not. It, if not, yeah. Because not just inverts the, the Boolean. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, is... Uh, other things I wanted to ask you, is there anything, so since Ruby is on the cutting edge of cool stuff, is there anything that you think that, I know you're not in on like what's cool in Python <laughs> and stuff, but like, is there anything you're really excited about that is like trendy in the Ruby world that we should know about? I know you guys just landed Yarn support in Rails, which is already pretty cutting edge because you already had, you have Node.js built into Rails, which is not something we have in Django. Um, so that's why you have yarn, yep. but is there, is there anything else like that? Or do you want to talk about that maybe? Uh, so yeah, it actually is kind of sort of an indirect competitor to the thing I maintain, which is not necessarily, which is a competitor to sprockets, which is not a bad thing. Um, because you, you would probably rather not be maintaining it, right? Eh, I mean, like, yeah, basically. <laughs> you get cloud from it, but it's probably just like a big headache at this point. Uh, well, the, so the issue comes um, from it does it, so Sprockets does a very specific thing very well, which is like if you have a bunch of JavaScript files, it will concatenate them and minify them. Um, if you like, and that's what assets used to be like. So it kind of does what normalized JS does. Uh, yeah, kind of, or like Uglify, or like yeah, um, I like it actually uses Uglify as a backend as one of the things. Um, but like it just really simple uh asset operations, and that's what people used to need. Like, and now there's all of these really, really, really heavy asset front ends, and people are saying, like, oh, how do I compile my React app with, like, 
ES97 in uh, in sprockets, and I'm just like, okay, that's not a like that's not a thing that like we could we can hack it in, um, and we can support some of these things, but not in a like very native way. So it's like, see, I haven't done front end work in a really long time, but I was really annoyed by frameworks that want to have any knowledge of my static stuff. I just wanted to build my own thing where it was like the framework just knew about the static files. And then if I had some kind of pre-asset compilation step, I would just write that myself in bash or hmm. something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I feel like that's the way the framework should be, where it's like, you know, if you're going to do asset pre-compilation, you just install UE compressor or something, and then you, like, run it, and then, like, point it to where the targets are. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, when, I, when it's tied into the framework itself, I'm like, this isn't doing Python anymore. This is managing static files, and I don't want my framework to be managing static files. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's also a difference just in, in um, like... For me, I don't I like I don't want to do work. Um, like if my see. if my framework can do the heavy lifting, like I don't want to know anything about I guess I would just rather understand what's going on by building it myself cuz it takes like an hour at the most to like throw that together. Mm -hmm. And that, then I fully understand what's going on versus having a black box that's like here's this crazy thing you have to understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so one of the benefits, though, of doing it, having it through a framework, is that I can move to any single Rails app in the world and understand what, um, well, like what the knobs and levers are. Uh, That's good. To 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 make what it's like. Oh, I'm like, oh, I want to make this change. Well, I like I already know how to make that change. It's just a config change, um, and I've done it a billion times on a billion apps before. Versus, like, every single app you go to having to be like, oh, how do you compile the assets, right? Like, you know, oh, it turns out you're using this library, and this library doesn't even support that as an option. Yeah, in Django, we kind of have that problem where it's like, there's nothing built in for compression and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so if you want that, you have to add a third-party library, like uh, Django Compressor. And, uh, you know there's different libraries available so they do different things and for me and then you have people like me who just do it themselves and uh and then just expect the framework to be stupid and just <laughs> po point to where the results are do your bidding yeah and that that works well for me because um, then i can do really advanced stuff and i don't have to like write any custom code to do that i just like write a, a make file mm, yeah got it yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's where the that's where the yarn support is coming from. Like basically, people are building a Rails backend with a some sort of a um, a asset heavy front end, um, like a React or something like that. And the the tool chain for that is already in Node, so it just makes sense to um, like previously what we were having to do in Ruby is is anytime a new p a new tool chain comes out is Add support for it. Yeah, rewrite it in Ruby, basically, or like even you know what we're what the the interim solution what Sprockets is doing is using something called Exec.js, and this is what you were saying where Rails needs Node, so it actually calls to Exec, um, just like lib lib v8 or uh, or just you know system Node if it if it's on the installed on the system, um, and uh, yeah. Uh, 
and then um, but even then that gets really tedious because there's a, there's always this uh, conversion issue of like having to say well we want to do this in Ruby and you would do it like um, you know how do we translate that to to node like how do we can you know you have to add in configuration points and all of this other stuff and it gets it gets really hairy um, so I, I think rails generally goes through this uh, this cyclic kind of um, where it's it's almost like Apple like Apple has a features release and then a like stability like slash minor improvements release uh, yeah the even in the odd numbers yep and so um, it's pretty similar actually I don't know if this is intentional or not but um, the, the the Rails, all of the big features are in the major version numbers of so Rails 5. That's what we shipped with Action Cable. Um, I guess I guess Yarn support is actually pretty big, and it's coming in the minor release um, in 5.1. But um, generally, w- what tends to happen is we introduce a bunch of stuff, and I'm on the contributors team with Rails. Um, uh, so I, like, I, I get... You know, I have to fix my own problems. <laughs> I, I I introduce new features, and then you know, there's there's issues with them, and then they need to be fixed. And so, yeah, generally we spend a lot of time um, polishing and making sure, okay, all of these edge cases are handled before we really go out and and work on something new. Um, also, I don't know if this is common knowledge in Python, but Rails is basically like Basecamp um, framework framework ties um yeah like if 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 basecamp does not need something then sometimes it'll get added to rails but generally if basecamp is using something it will like guaranteed it will be added into rails like the very so next day. It, it's still that's still kind of the use case for the major use case for for rails is still basecamp um i wasn't under the impression that basecamp was still being worked on Oh yeah, Basecamp is still. I think I think they're hiring. Um, I saw a t- wow. I saw a tweet by DHH relatively recently. Yeah, I mean it's still being worked on. They're still going strong. Um, but uh, I, I I like I actually think it's a pretty good model for open source. Um, yeah, it is. To, to have it's like one of the biggest problems that I run into as a library maintainer is somebody will come to me and they will say I want you to add this feature, build this thing, or it needs to do this. And, and I come back to them and I'm like, okay, well, like, I literally can't understand why you would want that, so I can't possibly build the feature in a good way. Yeah, that's, that's the, I've done that, my, uh, I've done a talk on this before where it's like build things that are solving your own problems. And that was really successful for GitHub as well as 37signals because github originally they were starting a company called fam fam or something and it was for sharing family photos mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. and that was what the company was supposed to be and then they were like well we need a place to store all of our code so they built github on the side and nice. that was what 37 signals did too and 37 signals was like you know we need a framework to build our <laughs> our tools and then that's how they blew up and became this really prolific like web development shop mm-hmm uh, and same with GitHub. The GitHub just kind of exploded because they were like they built something that served their own needs, and uh, they because they were experiencing the problem themselves. Yeah, and that's some and that's something that I think is really powerful. So I try to only build tools for problems that I am personally experiencing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a really powerful methodology to go about because a lot of people try to build products and tools and open source utilities for stuff that's like, oh, I see a hole here. I'm going to try to build something for it. But if it's not something they're actually experiencing, then like it doesn't really solve the problem sometimes or it doesn't really stick because if you're experiencing the problem, then someone else is often also experiencing the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I had so much success with the request project. I was building... I wasn't expecting that project to take off. I was just writing API wrappers for... Uh, the first one was for Convor, the chat service. Oh, yeah. And Convor was great, and I was like, I want to build an API wrapper for it. And then I went to go do that, and I was like, well, uh, writing HTTP code in Python sucks, so I'm going to write a little API an API tool, you know, that makes it easier to write API as clients. And then I never finished the API wrapper because it took off because that's what people <laughs> needed. Nice. Yeah. So I think I, are there any other tools like that in Ruby that like are like really great that like we should like look at in Python that are on the newer side of things? Like, are there any ubiqu- like things that are becoming ubiquitous right now that are like maybe applicable to Python? Well, Rails Rails is pretty cool. <laughs> um, uh, so I I I mean I don't know I I will um, go back and uh, uh, before we get onto this. Um... It sounds like Sprockets is a good idea. <laughs> to, is to that a serious that thing? I'm being serious, yeah, or, or yeah, it does. I am being um, serious. So, like, like I think Sprockets works really well for the for what we were just talking about, right? Like, I have a problem, this solves that problem. Um, where it doesn't work well is, uh, it turns out that asset compilation is one of those, it's like, you know, caching and naming things. It's out, you're like, oh, it's just caching. Oh, it's just naming things. It's like, oh, asset compilation is actually really hard like it's a ton of edge cases and everybody wants something slightly different yeah um so like which is why everyone should just build it themselves so i i like my i have the opposite philosophy from that experience i'm like so it's why everybody should just use somebody else's it's like why you should never build your own crypto it's just like like why unless you're like a crypto expert and you get benefit from it you know i would rather spend time moving and building my app forwards um, but, uh, let's see, um, so from, from Ruby land, something that's, it's actually, it's like kind of Ruby related, but not entirely. Have you heard of MRuby? Um, is it the embedded Ruby project? Yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, does Python have any, can you, can you like embed Python in C? Is there an embeddable Python? Yes, yeah, the Python, there's a live Python that you can embed in C, and there is a, an embeddable MicroPython mm-hmm. um, that you can use for much smaller projects, like, you know, for microcontrollers and stuff like that. It's because real Python is pretty large. It's like 20 megabytes or something, and MicroPython is, uh, let me look at the website here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe MicroPython is the best uh, solution. Yeah, it, my. MicroPython is Python for microcontrollers, and it takes up uh, 16k of RAM. Oh so. wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> and it takes up 256k of code space. Oh wow! So it's is quite a serious project. So we have that, um, but I don't know anything about it or how it works. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's something that's kind of relatively new on... So, uh, Ruby has M-Ruby, and it's kind of relatively new on the scene. Um, sorry, we have a little handoff here. Um, <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah. Uh, oh, and they and MicroPython also has its own board that you can buy to run it on. It's pretty cool. That is cool. Is it like a get like a modified Arduino or something? Or like... I don't know. It looks like it's its own open source thing. Oh, interesting. It says it comes with a is some large serial number microcontroller and a hundred and sixty eight megahertz CPU and a flashable ROM and it just has a bunch of I/O ports. Hmm. So, yeah, I haven't met anyone who's doing MicroPython, but I've seen some hardware that runs Python natively, so I assume that they're using MicroPython when they do that. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I I do have a I do have a plug, for a product that I I run. It's it's free. It's open source. It's not like it's costing money or anything like that. Um, oh yeah, your um, code triage. Yeah, so it's uh, it's codetriage.com, and it's basically like if you want to get involved in open source, but you don't know how, like you're like, oh, request is really cool, but I don't know where to start. You can go to codetriage.com slash. Uh, it's just Kenneth Reed slash requests, or is it in its yeah. own? Okay, yeah. Kenneth Reed slash requests. And um, and sign up, and then you'll get a open issue um, emailed to your inbox once a day, and then you can. With some instructions, and basically it's like, oh, if somebody submits a bug report, then you can just try to reproduce that bug report, um, and if you're able to, comment back on the ticket and be like, yeah, you know, that, that totally, I, I reproduced the bug, it's definitely a bug, or no, I wasn't able to, we need more information, um, and you might think that, like, okay, well, that takes a couple of minutes out of your day, like five minutes or something, but then that's, that's time that, say, Kenneth doesn't have to spend taking out of his day, um, is this something I have to sign up for to allow people to do that? No, it's people are already signed up for it. Uh, I mean, for to enable requests to be able to do it. Uh, nope. Anything on okay. Anything on anything on GitHub. Any project on GitHub that has um, issues open, uh, it you you can you can subscribe to it. Um, and this is actually I kind of use this as my. I'm gonna try subscribing on my own project and see. What, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm gonna triage issues on <laughs> Python requests. Totally. And then, and then it'll send me three a day by default. Yeah, I think that's I think it's right. You can I'm, you can also tune it. You can and you can tune uh, how often it gets set. Oh wow, there's 52 subscribers. I had no idea. <laughs> there you go. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's all, and so I, I don't recognize any of these names, so I don't know if they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, I mean, it's. Once we send the email, we can't necessarily make you engage, right? Like, there's a ton of reasons why people, different people, might have, uh, might be doing it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a, it's a project I uh, I run, and in terms of, like, while I work at Heroku, while I'm building things on Heroku, I because I run this, it's an opportunity for me to say, oh, you know, I actually have experience. Um, you know, like at, like running a production web. I like I treat this as a production website and as a as a production web app, uh, just kind of like how we were talking about previously with uh, you know GitHub building the tools that they need and um, you know Basecamp building Rails so that they could they could have a thing. 
have a framework. That's awesome. Yeah, so that seems like a, if anyone who is interested in getting started in open source and doesn't know how to start, this is a great place to go. They also have select your favorite languages, so you can just select Python, and it'll uh, it'll give you. Uh, I guess it'll suggest projects for you. Is that what it does? Um, let's see, not yet. We're 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 working on. Oh, hey, there's SymPy on here. <laughs> um. Yeah, actually, I haven't even looked at the Python. There's a lot of them. That's great. Uh, so, so selecting language is just for your profile. Yeah, yeah, just for your profile. I, um, and then you can you can also filter on the main page on the main site. You can filter by your language, uh, and just like any single project on GitHub, it's the exact same. If so, if it's like GitHub.com/slash/rails/slash/rails, then it'd be CodeTriage.com/slash/rails/slash/rails. You got a lot of languages. All right, I'm clicking Python, and yeah, there's SymPy, YouTube, DL. That's a big one. They have a lot of websites that they scrape. Are you familiar with YouTube DL? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's it's a very useful tool. They support every video website you can possibly imagine, uh, both illicit and non-illicit. <laughs> it supports downloading website downloading videos from. Uh, it's quite a powerful tool, and it also supports like um, SoundCloud and stuff like that. So you can just point it at a, someone's SoundCloud, and it'll download every single song that they've uploaded. Oh, wow, that's a really great tool. I didn't know it was written in Python. It is, yeah, it's written in Python. Huh. I don't see requests on this list. Like, are they filtered alphabetically? Yeah, it's just alphabetical. I see, and they're. And there's red, orange, Actually, and green. It, no, I think um, I think you're too good. Uh, the the red, it's like the it's, it's issue count. So I think it's it's sorted by need. So basically, if you have a really high issue count, then yeah, they, like YouTube DL has sixteen hundred issues. <laughs> That's a lot. That's quite a lot. But they they have such a broad. I mean, if I if I go to their code base. Uh, and I look at, let's see here, where, how do I go to, yeah, github.com. I'm just curious to see real quick here. You, I'm going to the code base and looking at the extractors. I don't know if it'll tell me how many files there are, but it's taking quite some time to load this up. Yeah, they have, it's, it's like my browser. It's like, <laughs> I'm curious how many it is. It's got to be over a thousand extractors oh, built wow. in. They have Adult Swim, they have CNN, Fox, you know, every single website that you can imagine and it has videos on it. It'll, it'll, they have specific things to steal videos from websites. It's really nice. Uh, so they have a lot of issues that get, they get, uh, and then they have a generic extractor too that'll just like grab it if they don't have it mm -hmm. built in. So I'm sure they get issues every day for, like and it does like ffmpeg encoding and stuff if the video because you know a lot of those sites have video streams that are like chunked so that like people can't just download them from their web inspector mm, mm -hmm. and so it'll automatically it downloads those anyway <laughs> nice and it's it's a great it's a great project but they don't use requests unfortunately wow. they use the built-in stuff but uh it's okay it works yeah. Uh, and well, so one of the interesting things with doing this and, and looking at a ton of issues for a ton of different projects is just everybody uses issues slightly differently. 
Um, some people, so for example, Rails says like an issue is either uh, is a bug report. Period. It can't be anything else. And then other people are like, um, it, and if you have an idea, that you can either message the mailing list or you can open up a pull request. Other people will say like, do not open up a pull request unless you have opened up an issue about it, like asking, you know, hey, what do you think about this idea? Uh, and so, like, some people use their, their issues as, like, solely for bug reports. Some people use them as, like, bug reports plus, um, you know, like a feature tracker, like a Kanban board. Um, and so, yeah, like, some of these that are I've labeled, like, in dire need, like the red ones, some of them are actually in good shape. It's just that they, they are, uh, they just not doing a super diligent job with closing issues that aren't bugs. Yeah. And so this is a great way to help out. I highly encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug before we wrap things up? Uh, I There's this uh, really cool service called Heroku. It's, <laughs> I don't think people who listen here might have heard of it, so I wanted to mention that. Um, Heroku did just launch um, auto-scaling of web dynos, which is kind of a cool thing. Uh, so you can like you can auto scale your uh, your web instances up and down based on request time. So like if your website gets slammed just during one part of the day, uh, you can you can set that. Uh, but I I think it's only available for our performance dynos. I'm not 100. percent That is correct. It's only available for the 250 dollar a month dynos. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it is available. So if you're using something that's very high in performance and that is expensive, like the expen the high performance dynos, then you are able to have them scale up and down automatically, which is great. Uh, I haven't tried it out yet because I don't. I I run small dynos on my apps. Yep, same here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I got fits fits into a uh, like a one X dyno. But but if you're gonna start doing uh, SciPy stuff, maybe that won't be the case for long. Oh, I should. Yeah, I should like spin up like 100 SciPy dinos or something to do my homework. Yeah, I should mention to our listeners, I have a Docker image available. We have preliminary support for Docker on Heroku. It's called the Docker Container Registry, and it's in beta. But um, I, you can now run anything that runs with Anaconda and Miniconda on Heroku with the Docker Miniconda image that I built. So uh, I'm working right now. I'm making that work with Python 3. Right now it only works with Python 2. But uh, that plus our giant dinos that we have make it so you can do some really cool, uh, large-scale scientific computing uh, on Heroku, which is great. You could say, you know, scale, scale to 100, and then you get 100 D uh, PX dinos, and, and you're crunching away at a bunch of data. And it's way easier than using AWS, I'll promise you that. So <laughs> I don't usually pitch Heroku on this show, but since it's too Heroku, I guess it's okay. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry to break the streak. Um, I also run a conference called Keep Ruby Weird in Austin, Texas. I don't know. We haven't announced for this year. I don't know if we're going to do it. I but um, if if there's any stray Python Rubyists listening, then be on on the lookout for that. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Uh, that I've heard good things about that conference, and of course, Keep Ruby Weird is influenced by uh, Keep. Uh, Austin Weird, yep. which Portland has stolen and is using now for their slogan as well. Keep Portland weird. It's, it's okay. You know, it's like that's one of those things where uh, 
is it is it weirder to have the like keep blank weird, or is it weirder to somebody else has that as their slogan and then you steal it? <laughs> B- because it's like inherently not weird to be doing the same thing somebody else is doing, but like it's pretty weird, you know. Uh, anyway, so I props to Portland for that one. That was I think that was that was it was like almost clever. It was a pro move. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good. It was like Prince did that judo move with Dave Chappelle, where Dave Chappelle did a parody of Prince. Mm-hmm. And then so for one of his singles that he released, he used Dave Chappelle's like like uh, image of himself parodying him as the image cover for the single. That's amazing. Yeah, and he was like, that was a Prince judo move, he said. <laughs> He's like, what am I going to do about it? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Cool. cool. Well, I don't have anything else to talk about. Um, I, there's something I've done for a few people. You're not like one of our prolific Python people, but it might be interesting. Someone asked me on a podcast recently what my top five was for books and movies and like video games and stuff like that. Mm. And I think that's a really fun thing to do. So do you want to do that real quick? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick some stuff. Um, like, so let me see. I've got, uh, I've got a one and a half year old. So uh, top five in books, uh, t- Clifford's touch and feel day and Elmo. There's an Elmo B. The letter B is pretty good. Uh, for, for the, for the adults, uh, I recommend, uh, algorithms to live by. It's a really interesting book. Uh, and, oh, interesting. As well as, uh, yeah, it just goes through a bunch of these, like, um, you know, classical, numerical like problems and then applies it to real life in some way and some of them are a little esoteric and you know some of them aren't um like uh you know how how do you determine um which like which parking spot is the best one you know it's like looking looking for a parking spot takes time but you obviously want to be closer to where you're going like how long should you spend looking versus like just parking yeah. Um, I mean, and just like stuff like that. It's it's pretty fun. It's a pretty fun book. Um, so it's, it's taking all those all those things that we kind of inherently do ourselves, but trying to apply numerical analysis to them. Yeah. Well, it's like taking a exi- yeah a, an existing theory, an existing algorithm, and then like yeah, working backwards. And so it's like, oh, here's here's a w- a novel way to think about it. Um, another one I really like is, uh, Nate Silver's book, uh, Signal and the Noise. Um, and it's just all about like probability and statistics. And I think inherently programmers, uh, work with a ton of numbers. Like even if you don't think you do, like you do. Um, and yeah, I feel like I don't do much math at all in my programming, but I do deal with numbers a lot. Well, I mean, and it, it's, it's like, even if you don't, it, it's like if you're you're like oh well I just build UIs and stuff well you know I don't know you're putting you're counting things it's like oh five new friends and and uh, maybe you're building a dashboard x new subscribers um, or maybe you're doing a little bit more you know actually uh, actual statistics or, or scientific uh, work um, but like I mean in, just inherently. A lot of us, especially in the web world, deal with um, data visualization and like uh, passing around data. And like, there's there's a bunch of really good examples in the book of um, like how we should be thinking about statistics and how we should be thinking about numbers that 
I really think a lot more people need to be aware of. Um, like, I don't know, do I have time for an example or? Yeah, definitely. Okay. We still have, a, we have seven minutes. Okay. Yeah, so one of the, one of the examples, um, there, was this, there was this town that was right by a river, and every, um, at the, every spring, the ice melts, and then it flo- like the river floods. And so they know this, and so they built a, they built a levee to protect the town. Um, and one year, there was excessively large amount of ice and large amount of uh, snow, and they were, you know, everybody's really worried and saying, oh my gosh, you know, it, like, what's going to happen? And I forget the exact numbers, so I'm just going to make them up, but that the, the reporting agency who, like, does the predictions said, okay, well, um, the, the, the water is going to rise by 50 feet, and... Uh, like everybody in the town was like, oh well, our 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 wall is like fifty one feet, so we're safe. And um, well, like what the reporting agency didn't tell them is like that was the average. Oh, uh, I see. So it's like we think it's going to be fifty feet, but it's fifty feet, and it was fifty feet plus or minus I think four, three or four. So it's like it could be fifty four feet, or it could be, uh, you know, forty six feet. So statistically. It's most likely that it'll be fifty feet. Yes, you know. However, here's the distribution, and and it did end up raining, and it did end up going over the wall, and um, a ton of houses. Luckily, nobody was was hurt, but a ton of houses were like destroyed, and there's like all this property damage, and nobody nobody bought um, flood insurance. Like everybody saw this coming, and this like massive event. And there was not a, like, this should have been a case where people are like, oh, I'm going to buy flood insurance and protect myself. But because the data was presented, because of the way that the data was presented, um, this one number, they were like, oh, I have a high confidence in that. What they should have been saying is, is like, oh, well, what exactly is the chances of it going over the wall? It's like, it's not zero, right? If you have a 10% chance of your entire home being destroyed, (laughs) like... Would you like? Would you take an action versus a zero percent chance? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, even even with the weather, um, like the, uh, every single day we talk about a twenty percent chance of rain, or you know a ninety percent chance of rain, and um, and it turns out that like weather forecasters basically lie to us. Like whenever it's a twenty percent chance of rain, in reality it's more like there's a five percent chance of rain, but. 5% chance of rain means that for 100 days, it will rain on 5 of them. I see. And what 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 happens is, when it rains on one of those 5 days, you're like, you know, you, you call BS. Like, there's no way. There's so o- they, only they a... So fi- like, they run, like, 100 calculations of how the weather could go, mm-hmm. and, like, 20% of those or 5% of those get it, so then it gets a 20% chance of rain. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, well, you know, to play it safe, we're going to bump up the we're going to bump up that number. So it's like when it does eventually rain, you're like, okay, well, it was a 20% chance. <laughs> well, yeah, 20% chance sounds sounds to me like it's not going to rain. Yeah, but 5% sounds like it's really not going to rain, right? Yeah, and, it, and it, to me with the way that they presented it, it just feels like if it's over 50 if it's 50, that means that it's a 50% chance that it actually will. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of also the way that I interpret it. Um, but I, basically, my own opinion, and he didn't get to 
he didn't drive this um, in the book, but my own opinion is that this this type of um, exposure to like the the weather forecast is basically is a statistic. Um, it's a probability, uh, just like the election. You know, it's like polling statistics, and like people people don't know what to do with them. Like like we are exposed to them a lot, but. Um, you know, inherently, a lot of times, like even with the weather forecast, when it's when it's twenty percent, it's not dead on twenty percent. It's twenty percent plus or minus ten, plus or minus five, right? So it it it, it could be a thirty percent or it could be a ten percent. Um, but uh, like weather forecasters don't like that is more information than most people need, so they don't give it, and I think as a result. Um, a lot of people just are not not asking for errors um, in in terms of esti- estimations, and when they are presenting their own data, they are presenting it in um, potentially harmful ways. Uh, and so, anyway, yeah, that Excellent. that's a really interesting book, um, and it's it's pretty lightweight. Uh, it, it's very you know it's an, it's got a narrative, and it's um, you know there's a bunch of really interesting stories in it. Well, how about movies? Um, movies. Oh, that's a tough one. I really haven't watched. My favorite new movie is Doctor Strange. It's my favorite Marvel movie so far. It's fantastic. I've seen it twice. Oh, nice. Oh, um, really? Was that good? Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Little... He, he, like, he fights on the astral plane and stuff. That's it's cool. so cool. I was a little worried yeah. that it was going to be maybe a little too Green Lantern-ish, but that's that's good to hear. No, I personally loved it. I, I mean, he's I didn't know anything about him mm-hmm. going into it, but I saw the trailer and I was blown away. And uh, and then I saw the movie and I was even more blown away. So I really liked it a lot. It's like, Cause I, it's like hey, I like, hey Sher- Sherlock doing magic tricks, right? Yeah, basically, because I'm into like esoteric stuff a little bit, mm-hmm. and it, this is like a Marvel movie, like like Iron Man, except for he's into a bunch of esoteric stuff. So it's pretty cool. Well, that's kind of cool. So it's like instead of instead of being powered by like a science robotic suit, it's like powered by Sat by meditation and by yeah, by the beyond tapping in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, oh, I uh, I saw Hidden Figures. That movie was awesome. I haven't heard of that. Hidden Figures. So it's about um, it's about the uh, black women who worked on the oh yeah yeah the s- on the NASA space station sp- space program yeah on yeah yeah back because back in the day before like computers existed they just they used women to compute things like and they called them computers and they, and they were called computers yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's basically like. How yeah, it's like an amazing, amazing movie. Um, Hidden figures. I'm gonna write that one down. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's like I've seen the trailer for that one a couple times, and it looks like a great movie. Yeah, I would. Is it is it, is it a black movie? Is it a black movie? Uh, yeah, you know, there's like certain films that are like the genre oh, is you black. Mean, you mean like kind of like Barbershop? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was. It, I got that vibe that it had a little bit of that going on, but it looks like it's also for a general audience. Yeah, I would say it's a lot more for a general audience. Um, there, yeah, there's. I mean, and there's even there. Yeah, it's like if if you had seen it, uh, there's like there are some things that are like that they portray in the movie that didn't actually happen. Um, it's like 
you know, but whatever. Like for the for the most part, it's like the it's it's a pretty good story and it's like really well told and like well acted and directed and everything. So I recommend it. Excellent. Um. Yeah, man. Uh, is that I've been reading this probabilistic robotics book. That's but that's just because I'm taking the class. <laughs> I don't think I don't think that counts. All right. Well, I think that that concludes our show then. <laughs> that's my top uh, I, my top three. <laughs> top three. Yeah, I, I have another call to join. So. All right. So uh, thank you so much for joining, Richard. It was a pleasure talking to you, and it was a pleasure to get a really. I think we got some pretty deep dives into the differences between Ruby and Python, and uh, I think that's what I'm going to call this episode: is deep dive into Ruby. Uh, nice. I think that was pretty good. I'm hoping to maybe do one of these with Joe, so we'll do like a Node.js one as well, maybe. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, Army Hunter, Hunter. <laughs> I get same, I get them same person, right? <laughs> Definitely. They have they have similar glasses. <laughs> uh that yeah that's a like old joke from our team um, and they they started at the same time too so yeah well for the yeah for a while there people were confusing you and i so uh were they really yeah yeah so like when i first when i first joined and i would come by the office people would be like oh hey you know hey kenneth and then they'd be like, <laughs> they'd be like where's, where's your glasses and i'm like uh i'm not kenneth <laughs> that's hilarious or they would just come up and talk, like start talking to me and like not um you know it's like not explicitly oh, say I Kenneth, that. and then no one, no one knew, no one ever called me Richard. They just thought that you were me. Apparently, yeah, that's interesting, because I was the, the the first build pack hire, and so then you were the second build pack hire. Yeah, and and then so yeah, that's an easy co- thing to confuse, and we're both remote. Yep, I guess it makes sense. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, this is this is great, and. I'll talk to you later, man. All right. Let's hit stop record.